Guess what, church? Jesus Christ is still alive. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ last week with 2.5 billion Christians around the world. We celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty. I shared with one pastor said the tomb of Christ is famous because of what it does not contain being the body of Christ. Now we say it was empty because Jesus wasn't there, but that's not the whole story. Um, it wasn't entirely empty. There was something left in the tomb, and I want to talk to you about that today. We're going to look at some scripture. Pastor Mary has already uh, read from the resurrection chapter from Corinthians chapter 1 and verse, or um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But here we have again Acts chapter 1, and we read from this last week, and I want to re emphasize something here. He, and Luke is talking about Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Not just one thing, not just to one person, many proofs appearing to them during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. And Luke chapter 24 tells us something as well in verse 12. But Peter rose after the women had come to tell him that they had seen an angel and that Jesus was not in the tomb. Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Now the tomb is empty because Christ is not there, but there's something still in the tomb that we need to talk about today, and it is the linen cloth. So let's bow in prayer as we get into this today. God in heaven, we love you. We thank you for being our Heavenly Father. We thank you for sending your Son, your only begotten Son, into the world that was desperate for salvation and life. And He was willing to go to the cross, not my will, but your will, and die for the sins of not only us, but the sins of the entire world. And He was buried Yet He rose again. Your Son is alive forevermore and He offers us life. And He has given us all the evidence we need. And I pray today that we believe in the fact that You are God. We believe in the fact of what Christ has done for us. That we place our faith that we may have life in Christ. Because He is risen and He has given us resurrection life. Bless your words as they go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. What we have learned, church, is that Jesus Christ, in fact, is alive. Everything that we believe hangs on the fact of the resurrection. If Jesus Christ had just died on the cross and was buried and didn't rise again, everything that He said was a lie and wasn't true and we shouldn't even be meeting today. But the fact is, He is alive. And it wasn't just for us to say this is a historical thing for Christianity. This is everything. We are a resurrection people. We are on the other side of the cross. We are on the other side of the resurrection. We are on the other side of Pentecost, to be honest. And we have received the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ in us. And we are a people who are alive. This is who we are. And as Christians, this is what we believe. It is a firm foundation 
What we believe was told about in the prophecies long ago of the death of Christ, that he would rise again. These things were according to the scriptures is what Paul said. You know, yesterday as we were doing the wedding, Wilson and Kylie, they wanted to do something special. Uh, Each wedding, people do specific things, and they set aside time to go over and pray to God and sign a Bible together as they prepare to be married. To make sure that their marriage is on the foundation of the Word of God. These are things that we believe. We have a high view of Christ. We have a high view of the Scriptures. We have a high view of how we are to live as God's people. This is who we are. Jesus Christ is alive and we have evidence. Now last week we spent a large portion of our time dealing with the evidence for the resurrection. And we used alive as an acrostic. And we dealt with one, the first thing we dealt with was the appearances of Christ to all kinds of people. I mean, that would be enough alone that Jesus Christ is appearing to people, and at one point, more than 500 people. There was other reasons we talked about the low social status of women. Why would you include that? If you're trying to start a religion, and you stole a body, and it's based on a lie, why would you include the testimony of women in all four Gospels? There was an immediate proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they voluntarily were willing to to suffer. If you knew this thing was based on a lie, now you might say, well, Muslims are willing to die for their faith, but they believe it's true. But if you believed that this was a lie, why would you be willing to die? And the disciples were willing to be punished, thrown in prison, and even be put to death. And we talked about the literal fact of the empty tomb. And here's the deal. We need to know these things. We need to learn them, know them, and teach them. And talk about them and express these things on a regular basis. It's not some foreign thing that we've learned once. This is what we know and believe as Christians. Now, as part of the E last week in Alive, we talked about the empty tomb. But there's another E I'm going to talk about with you today. And it is extra biblical evidence that we have. There are things that happened and then they wrote about these things. There are things that literally happen in history. And when I say extra-biblical um, evidence, it means evidence found in history, not necessarily found in the Scriptures. For example, Joseph, um, Josephus is a Jewish historian, and Tacitus, a Roman historian. Both cultures were antagonistic to Christianity. But behold, they both report that Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate, and later they both believed that Jesus was God. Why would they believe he was God? They're inferring the resurrection, that he rose from the dead. No historian reports a found body, only that it was gone and theories to explain it. Now, another example of extra-biblical evidence, that means the scriptures were written, And other historians wrote about these things as well. But another example is the Jewish writings, the Talmud, the things that the Jewish people wrote down, and some of them held the Talmud above the Holy Scriptures. Now, numerous writings in the the Talmud also acknowledge that Jesus had been working miracles. This is what's fascinating. You could say you don't believe in miracles, but you cannot deny the fact that something was happening. And what did they end up writing? They write in their own Jewish writings, which are historical now, that Jesus was a magician and a fool. 
and that Mary was an adulteress, which gives evidence that Mary was a real person and that they had to come up with an alternative that Jesus, that Mary was actually an adulteress because they didn't want to believe in the incarnation. They also wrote in this last part I want you to see on Passover Eve, they hanged Jesus of Nazareth. They clarify it's not just some other Yeshua. He practiced sorcery, incited, and led Israel astray. Now, why would they say he practiced sorcery or magic? Now, as you know in the scriptures, when Jesus was performing miracles, the Jews said he's performing miracles by Beelzebub, or the devil. And Jesus said, cast out a devil. And Jesus says, why would the devil want to cast out his own army? So it didn't even make sense. But they had to come up with an alternative view. Something was happening. So they had to say it was magic or sorcery, which gives us evidence in history that Jesus Christ was performing miracles. The point is that they denied his power from being God, and it validates the fact that Jesus was doing miracles. Now here it is, extra biblical evidence for the resurrection. Again, Luke writes this, 2412. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Actually, some of it says still folded. The linen cloths were still in the tomb. Now, the scripture I read on Good Friday is from Matthew chapter 27. I want to share a portion of that with you today. And Joseph, this is Joseph of Arimathea, who carved out the tomb that Jesus would be buried in. He took the body and wrapped it in clean lin- a clean linen shroud. He laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and then he went away. Now, here it is. You know that there's linen cloths still in the tomb, that Jesus was wrapped in a shroud. So I want to ask a question today. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Shroud of Turin. All right, a good portion of you today. If you don't know, the Shroud of Turin, and that means Turin, Italy, is a linen cloth measuring about 14 feet long by 3 feet 7 inches wide. Historically, it's proclaimed to be the actual burial garment of Jesus, with a history dating back to the 4th century. There's a lot of history around this. It contains a double head-to-foot image of a crucified man reposed in death that reveals both sides of the body. The shroud has been kept in the Royal Chapel Cathedral of Turin in northern Italy since 1578. They've had this thing a long time. Though some have given it to more of a recent date of the Middle Ages, there are a number of factors that indicate that the shroud is more uh, more ancient than the Middle Ages. Now, a few years back, my older brother, who is highly into apologetics, raise your hand if you've heard the word apologetics. Um, All right, great. It's from the Greek word apologia or apologia. Well, let's say that together today. Apologia. Isn't that a cool word? Didn't it make you smile saying it? You're learning Greek. It's awesome. It means basically to give an answer for what we believe. This is what we believe. We give answers. We defend our faith. My brother and I and Hannah went with us. We went to an apologetics conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. One of my professors were there, uh, professor of theology at University, uh, Liberty University, Dr. Gary Habermas. He is a leading expert on the resurrection. 
He has written 25 books on the resurrection, and he is working on a 6,000-page book on the resurrection. He is an expert. Out of all things, people are expert on all kinds of things. He is an expert on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is awesome. While we were there, he gave a presentation on the Shroud of Turin. Now, years ago, when I started off in ministry, I had somebody come up to me, and he was telling the congregation, don't believe in the Shroud of Turin. It is a hoax. And what happens in Christianity, oftentimes one person says something and then somebody else repeats it and they share it and people have not done their homework. They don't know the truth and some people would deny certain things or complain about certain things. And here's the deal. Dr. Habermas said he believes with an 80% probability that the shroud that they wrapped Jesus' dead body in, that, they place, that was placed in the tomb, this is literally Jesus' shroud. This is someone who is an expert on the resurrection of Jesus, believes that this shroud could truly be Jesus's. He says, I am fairly convinced. And I want you to see why. And, and I cannot share everything today, but I want you to share some of the things with you. This is a postscript on the evidence we talked about last week. So there's biblical evidence, there's extra-biblical evidence, and there's something that we have that is tangible that could, in fact, be the literal shroud of Jesus. Now, before I get into all the evidence, I do want to say there's always these people that are analytical and they believe in carbon dating. Oh, that was carbon dated at this time, so that must be a fact, even though every time they do carbon dating, it's all mixed up and all over the place. But we always consider carbon dating literal. So in 1988, y'all get my humor? Thank you. In 1988, carbon dating was done on a portion of the shroud, and three labs were used, and they came back with a late Middle Ages time frame of the 1200s or 1300s. But the section they believed that they used was corrupted or a portion that was sewn in later. Um, carbon dating was also done in 1982 and dated it to around A.D. 30. Conflicting evidence here. But there's more scientific reasons that place the shroud during the time of Christ. And here it is. The first thing and the second thing I want you to see, and I remember this vividly. I am sharing the things, if you would scroll forward, the things that I remember vividly from this conference. The first thing is that there is ancient pollen found on the shroud that is only found in Jerusalem, which puts it in that place and that time frame. The second thing is that there was coins. Now, they have advanced technology. They can actually, it wasn't just that people saw an image at the time through history. Now they can zoom in and look at things very close up um, as they, they look at these things under a microscope. They were looking at this face, and so this is enhanced. This is not what the, the literal shroud looks like. It is cloth, and you see red on it. But they started to shine light through this thing and enhance it, and you can actually see an image of a face on the shroud. They zoom in, and they look at the eyes, and they have discovered a print of a coin. So somebody had put coins over the eyes of this person in the shroud. The coins placed over the eyes of the man in the shroud is a leptin coin, of Pontius Pilate's time, minted in A.D. 29 through 32. That is the time of Christ's death and resurrection. Now, scientific uh, investigation is one of the points I'm going to talk to you about today as well, is that the shroud has been the subject of intense and ongoing scientific investigation. 
there's many that are not, you know, it's not conclusive. They're, they're saying we need to keep discovering and keep researching, so, but it's been intense and it's been scrutinized. In October 1978, a team of well-qualified scientists applied multiple non-destructive tests to the shroud with enhanced imaging. So this has been tested for many years by real scientists, and not all are believers. And they're testing this thing and researching it, and pathologists are involved in this. And here's what they discovered. The, the red markings, or the markings on the shroud, are, in fact, blood. It is real blood. The scientific team determined the blood is real, and the shroud is probably not faked. The image on the shroud was not caused by paint, dye, powder, or any other form of substance being added to the cloth. Dr. Habermas would go as far as to say, you cannot fake the shroud. It cannot be reproduced. So the scientific team was made up of pathologists and other medical doctors, and they discovered they believe this is truly blood. Another thing, the person in the shroud was crucified and was dead. The man in the shroud crucified was dead, and the body was in the state of rigor mortis. Now, it's hard for you to tell from the image because it's kind of far away, but if you look, the, the knee on the left is actually raised. And they determined that the body was stiff when, they, when this actually happened and formed the image. So the body is in rigor mortis, which means it, that's why they call a body a stiff. And the left knee was raised. It couldn't go down because of the rigor mortis. And you can see these, the markings all over, these, uh, all over the image here of this person. You can actually do a search and look this up, and you can just see stripe among stripe among stripe, blood markings, all kinds of things. So they believe it is consistent with crucifixion. And here's the injuries. I want you to see this. The injuries were the same as the gospel reports of Jesus' crucifixion. There's a lot that aligns it with Christ. There's many unnatural things that were done to Jesus, and these same type of things appear on the shroud. One, both men, um, the person who was in the shroud and Christ, both men suffered a series of punctures throughout the scalp. So they can actually determine there was these blood markings around the scalp, Serious bruisings to the face. What happened to Jesus' face? He was punched. Uh, actually, if you look at it very close, the, the cheeks look swollen. Horrible whippings. They have counted over 100 wounds of beating that have been counted and that are on the shroud. Uh, abrasions on his shoulder. Why would he have abrasions on his shoulder from a rough and heavy object? Whoever this was potentially carried the cross. Contusions on both knees, uh, maybe being forced to the ground and beating. Um, both men had the more normal wounds associated with crucifixion, namely punctured feet and wrists. You can see the images on the hands and the feet areas. Both escaped having their ankles broken. Uh, many times the ankles were broken, so they would go ahead and die. Whoever is in this did not have the ankles broken. Both had post-mortem chest wounds. What happened to Jesus' chest? spear. This is what the pathologists and scientists discovered. In this area, it was blood and a watery fluid on the side wound. Both were buried hastily in a fine linen because it had to happen fast. We're going to get to that point. And buried individually, they weren't wrapped with other people. Another thing I want you to see is that they, they see evidence of death. This person who was crucified, there's no evidence of decomposition. 
So whoever this was in the shroud didn't have time to decompose. The shroud contains no bodily decomposition, indicating that the body exited the cloth after a comparatively short amount of time. Uh, The team of pathologists also determined that the body was probably not unwrapped. Now, the way they fold this thing, it is 14 feet, and you, they basically lay the cloth down, put the body on top of the cloth, and lay the other portion over the body. Somehow, this thing was not messed up. A body just kind of comes out of it, indicating by the fact that many of the blood stains were still intact, including blood clots. So you're not just seeing blood that somebody could have painted on blood from someone else. There's actually clotting of the blood. Now, there's some historical things that I wanted to share. The shroud has been kept for hundreds of years as the actual burial garment of Jesus. Now, you could say they could have had a fact, but it is associated with Jesus. Long before the scientific team ever could do this research to study or prove the thing. And this is the thing I want you to see next. If you guys would scroll forward. You remember seeing all the paintings in history that are similar And you have people say, why do they try to make Jesus look European and these kinds of things? Why are the look always the same? What they believe is that they based these paintings on something that they had to look at, a prototype picture. Like the shroud was passed around when they were making these paintings. You you see a painting of uh, this icon of Jesus, and you can just do a search of paintings throughout history. They're very similar with this long, elonged face Um, The cheeks, the eyes, the eyes, now that you see the picture of the potential Christ figure there, you see the swelling in the jaw. They actually believe his lip was possibly torn up. And now why does his jaw look long? They believe that his jaw may have been dislocated. So why do you see these pictures of Jesus who seems to have a long face? Because his jaw may have been dislocated and hanging low before rigor mortis kicked in. And you can see the actual darkened darkened spots from the blood clotting around his scalp there. So throughout history, you can do a search for these paintings. They're very similar. Who were they basing them on? What were they looking at? And here's the final thing that got me. It's the kind of thing that gives you chills. Um, The image of the shroud is not just composed of blood. Uh, No other shroud has a body image on it. They haven't been able to find any other shroud that had the same type of image on it. The image exists outside of the garment on the top fibers with no seepage. This is the deal. If you take a cloth and the body is underneath it, the image that is on the cloth is somehow in the top fibers of the thread. And they don't go beneath those fibers. And as they're looking at this garment... They believe that it was caused by some sort of light or heat scorch that emanated from the dead body in the state of rigor mortis. So this heat source comes through a light of some sort as the body is dead, and boom, there is a picture formed. As you recall, the carbon dating done in 1988 gave it the date of the late Middle Ages. When they came back and researched this again, they believe... A molecular charge caused by the scourge could have caused the shroud to appear younger due to neutron flux. I mean, there's all these kinds of ideas. Now, two men reviewed the shroud. One was the head of radiology at UCLA, and the other was a retired medical doctor from Duke Medical School. And this is what they basically said. This is an x-ray of a man who was crucified. 
That's a lot of evidence. And, and this is what they also saw. A dentist saw something in the mouth area, and it's hard to see here. I wish we could enlarge it. They can count 23 teeth on the image. Now, Dr. Habermas asked, asked this professor from Duke University who was retired, who was a radiologist, how can a, a, an image of teeth get put on a shroud? They said, we believe it's an x-ray. How it happened, you're getting into the area of miracle, which I don't understand miracle, so I can't speak to that subject at this time. The point here is, is that we have good extra-biblical evidence that this, in fact, could be Jesus. Dr. Habermas goes on to say this. In short, the converging scientific facts show that the body left, um, that the body left the cloth by some as yet known unknown means. And since the man buried in the shroud is possibly Jesus, we also have some possible empirical evidence for the resurrection. I'm like, wow. Because we've been indoctrinated by, you watch the History Channel, and, and they want to deny everything and it's miraculous or that points people to Jesus. And then people start to share things. And you're dealing with scientists that are not necessarily believers. And you're dealing with an expert in the resurrection who has dedicated decades of his life to determining evidence for the resurrection. Now, he said this, if it's not Jesus, at the least... In this shroud, we have substantial historical evidence for the seriousness of the brutality of the crucifixion, what it was really like. So if you stood back and you said, I don't think that's Jesus, you still have a man who was crucified, and you see the brutality that this person went through, and it helps us to understand the brutality that Jesus Christ went through for us. He said, at best, it is the shroud Jesus wore, and that he died and it was raised again to life, and we can trust these things. And this, Dr. Habermas goes on to say this. He said, if I could choose between the evidence of the ark and this shroud, I would choose this shroud. Because it points to not only the resurrection, but the death and resurrection converging together, that Christ died for you and that he rose again. So what does this mean for us today? In the shroud, we see the union of both the cross of Christ and his resurrection. And here's something else I want to add. People have come to believe in Jesus Christ with this information presented to them. That people have come forward to believe that this is the real Christ that they want to believe in, that he literally died for you and that he rose again to give you eternal life. If Jay is in here, I'm going to ask him to come forward as we prepare to close. Church, we have substantial evidence that Jesus gave his life and rose again. And as we said last week, to give you eternal life. Christ died and rose again to invite you into the life of God. And church, you can have this eternal life. But this is what I want to leave you with today. It's not just the evidence, not just eternal life, but evangelism. If people have come to Christ through this and have heard the gospel and believe, we need to get the word out. This is who we are and who we've been called to be as Christians. I want to share this text here at the end. We know the Great Commission. Um, 
we've heard it read for years. And I have just a couple verses here, and I have a whole text I want to read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them after his resurrection. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And it still says, but some doubted. Even given all the evidence in the world that Jesus Christ is alive, Jesus presents himself, some still doubt. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why is authority given to Christ? Because he overcame death. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, we need to be a people who are sharing the gospel. We believe it and we share it. So today, as we close, we're going to open the altars. Maybe you need to come and pray for someone to be saved, that you are encouraged, that you are um, just getting the gospel out on a regular basis. Maybe there's someone you need to pray for, a family member. Maybe you just need to spend some time with God and come and do business with Him. The altars are open. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And you can come and pray. If you see what I see that the grave is empty and you know that I know anything is possible if you see what I see that the grave is empty and you know that I know anything is possible about to be another resurrection I see signs and I see wonders I see bursts of living color dead things coming back to life again I believe there's about to be another resurrection Stand with us and let's close singing. Come alive, wake up sleeper, he is risen, we are risen with the paradise, from wide open, he is risen. Are risen with you. If you see what I see, that the grave is empty, and you know that I know anything is possible. If you see 
grave is empty when you know what I know anything is possible do you see what I see do you see what I see let's pray Father in heaven we love you today we thank you for being the God who gives us the evidence we need that our faith is built upon the facts you've given us that we have a risen Savior that the tomb is empty the body is not there any longer that you are still alive and I pray that you fill us with your spirit of renewal that we live in your newness of life that the old is gone and the new has come. That you fill your people with your spirit. That they are emptied of self. That we go in grace and in the power of you. That we're reaching Casper for you. That we share the gospel and that people see the good news in us. This is what we believe as Christians. Uh, this is what we know and people know that we believe. They see a life transformation. I pray for more lives to be transformed. I pray for more people to be saved more people to be sanctified, more people to serve you and to get the good news out. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's give God glory today. He is good, isn't He? Amen. Church, Jesus is still alive. Did you know that? It is still Easter. It is still Resurrection Sunday. Go in grace and peace. You are dismissed. Go and tell someone about the resurrected Christ. You are dismissed.